Good morning. This morning we'll be reading from Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up to more. No more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is the strength of his people. It's January. We're transitioning from the holidays to the new year. And I've noticed and experienced from time to time that uh, the holidays can sometimes exhaust and harass you. And, and sometimes people have a hard time transitioning from the holidays into the new year. Have you ever experienced that? This transition phase of, of one year bleeding into another? No pun intended on the bleeding part. Um, and I'm curious. I'll open it up and just ask you. In your experience, from your own observation... Uh, what are what are some things that make the transition from the holidays into the new year difficult or even distressing at times? Sometimes I ask pointed questions. This is just a general question. What do you think? What what makes the transition from holidays to new year difficult? Yeah, Sarah. Oh, oh, wow. Right. Like last year's resolutions are unresolved. Excellent. I mean, true. Not excellent. <laughs> Any other observations? Yes. Going back to routine, huh? The root, going back to the routine seems a little dull. Yes. Maybe maybe your holiday was amazing. Maybe it was great. I heard somebody this morning say they had a very restful holiday. That sounded wonderful to me. That sounds like a dream. Uh, that sounds great. Maybe you hung around with your favorite people and now it's like, I got to go back to work or I've got to go back to classes or back to the, to the mundane routine. So uh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with those people, whatever it might be. Good observation. Any other observations? Uh, yeah, Judy. That's a great point. You now realize, oh, there's all this stuff that's gone untended or unaddressed that now is kind of hitting me all at once. No excuses anymore, right? No holly jolly and mistletoe to put things off. Wow. Could a male answer this question? Because the females have amazing thoughts. And Yeah, Steve. Undecorating. Undecorating. <laughs> because it's a trudgery or because it's kind of sad? I'm with you. 
Yeah. It, see, I, I, for my wife, it's a trudgery because she's doing most of it while I'm out of the house. For me, it's sad because I'm like, oh, I just don't get to look at the shiny, happy stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah, Jack. Good point. You're, so the holidays are over, and you're you're looking health wise, yeah, yeah. Because as, as as hopeful and optimistic as you can be, you could also be discouraged and and um, hesitant. And I know for, even for businesses and organizations, like the new fiscal year begins, uh, that has all sorts of an impact on scheduling and decisions. And yeah, it does kind of complicate things. Maybe one more. Maybe one more. Uh, yeah, Dan. Yeah, another year older, a new one just begun. Interesting, it brings up your immortality. Another year goes by, you're, you're aware you're getting older. Um, some things haven't changed, some people haven't changed, but, but time's moving on, time isn't being patient with you. Um, that's a really good insight. I, and I find sometimes when the holidays are over, some nasty, insulting comment that a relative made is sticking with you and following you into the new year. And you can't get that out of your mind. It's not always fun visiting, <laughs> visiting relatives again. Um, you know, maybe the overeating has, has provided for you some um, discouraging experiences in front of the mirror over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, if, if, ch- if small children are still at home with you, you know this, the holidays means their schedules are off and their sleep routine is off, which means they're exhausted, which means you're exhausted. Um, so here we are. Happy New Year. Um, I, I do want to say, and I want to encourage you, that in a time of transition like this, let us remember that God is a rock, that God doesn't change, that God is stable. That God, like a rock, is, is inviting us to build on him. Though, though times and seasons change and people change and people get older and people frustrate you and you frustrate yourself, God is a rock. As David calls out in his distress at the beginning of Psalm 28, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Don't be deaf to me. And so your strength for adversity comes from the Lord. Very simple idea for today. Our strength for adversity comes from the Lord. Our strength for transition comes from the Lord. David, as you look through this psalm, David's prayer and in his song finds comfort by meditating. We've talked about this before whenever we cover a psalm, how the psalms are are prayers, are songs that teach us how to meditate. Meditation must be at the heart of the Christian life. We don't really know how to pray. We don't really know how to think and and how to counsel and encourage and what to do if we don't meditate on what God says is true. If we don't meditate on who God says he is. And so David finds comfort by meditating on God's justice. And he meditates on God's deliverance. And he meditates on God's strength. So we're going to meditate on those three things as we follow David through this song. The justice of God the deliverance of God, and the strength of God. 
Through meditation and prayer, David remembers that God is just. Now, God will confront evil and injustice. David makes this quite clear. He's reminding himself God will confront evil and injustice and will hold the wicked accountable for their actions. He says in verses 4 and 5, he's talking about the wicked right now. These are people who are just out there doing terrible things, but these are also people who are doing terrible things to him. So he sees injustice in the world, and he's also receiving a dose of injustice personally. And he says, give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they don't regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. And he will tear them down and build them up no more. You know, prayers like that, the Psalms has a lot of prayers like that. And this is a this is like a this is like a G-rated prayer that other people would get what's coming to them. There are some very intense graphic prayers in the Psalms that essentially say, God, give to them what they deserve. Give to them what they've got coming to them. And prayers like that confuse us. Is this sentiment that David's expressing here a form of religious hatred that's inspired by a an Old Testament God of hate? This is what some people think and suppose. Now you read the Old Testament, they go, man, that God, that God of the Bible is full of hate. <laughs> How do you reconcile David's awkward, uncomfortable request here with other Old Testament passages? I don't even have to go to the New Testament to show that God is, is not just a hate monger. I'm just going to stay in the, on the Old Testament for a while. But how do, we rec- how do we reconcile David's request here with other places in the Old Testament that say things like Proverbs 24, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Or the Lord's words himself in Ezekiel chapter 33, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Although this request of David here, give them what they deserve, Lord. Although it makes us squirm. If you can accept it, if you would receive this, David is expressing a very necessary desire. I'll explain. Um, Don't you want to see injustice and wrongdoing confronted and alleviated, corrected? Think of the abolition of slavery. Think of the civil rights movement. Think in a way of the Me Too movement that's that's been going on in our culture just in the last couple of years. Aren't we outraged when people's dignity and humanity are violated? Shouldn't God, in whose image people are created, shouldn't God be incensed when the dignity of human beings is harassed and robbed from them? Shouldn't God be offended and filled filled with rage by what people do to his creation, by what people do to his planet, by what people do to one another, especially when the powerful and the strong take advantage of the weak and the helpless? Isn't it good? Isn't it good 
for David to say, I hate the horrible things that are happening in the world. You see, David in prayer, and this is the key that he's praying. He's not doing anything right now. He's not taking action. He's praying. And in his prayer, he's wrestling with really strong emotions, dangerous emotions. He's wrestling with hatred. He's wrestling with anger. He's wrestling with hurt. You know, you and I, we read the Psalms while we're sipping coffee in peaceful meditation in an armchair. We read these Psalms contemplatively that were written by people who were desperate. They were desperate when they wrote these songs. And we forget that after a few thousand years. Now here, David, here's a person, as one scholar puts it, here's a person who has a healthy conscience. The ancient Hebrews, unlike the pagan societies around them, cared very much about right and wrong. They seem to be the only ones, according to ancient writings, who are ticked off at the horrible things that are happening in the world. C.S. Lewis said, perhaps it's because the ancient Hebrews had a very strong understanding and cared very much about the difference between right and wrong. They got that from a God who cares very much about the difference between right and wrong. So here's a person with a healthy conscience taking right and wrong seriously. And I would suggest this to you. You should be, if David is making you squirm right now, and I confess he's making me squirm, you should be more concerned if you lack David's agitated passion for justice in the world. You should be more concerned if you are not bent out of shape over the horrible things that people do to one another. That people have done to you. The key is. The key that's going to resolve all this tension right now. That we have and what David is asking for. Is to ask ourselves a question. Who's confronting the injustice? Who is he asking to confront the injustice? See David's prayer stops short. Of harboring vengeance. By asking God to confront the injustice. God you confront the wickedness. You do what is necessary? Not me. And look, if you look into the history of David's life throughout the Old Testament, you're going to find many times when David was tempted to retaliate for a grave injustice committed against him, he didn't. He showed mercy. When Saul the king hunted David like an animal from cave to cave throughout the wilderness, David, when he had the chance to really do Saul in, did not. He showed him mercy. Again and again, when his own son, years later, when his own son Absalom tried to take the throne, tried to rob the throne from him and usurp him, David was merciful. When one of Saul's relatives, years later, actually when, when Absalom was trying to rob the throne from David, one of Saul's relatives, Shimei, publicly, openly cursed, mocked, insulted David the king. And David forgave him and didn't retaliate. Again and again, David, who's here asking God to give the wicked what they deserve, David, in action, after he prayed, after he meditated, went out and showed mercy. When incensed by injustice, David took his dangerous emotions to a holy God. Yeah? The Psalms don't encourage us to hate. Yes, the Psalms are filled with hate. We have to be honest about that. 
but they don't encourage us to hate. The Psalms encourage us to expose our hatred and our heart and our grief to a holy and just God. Not burying them, not suppressing them, but exposing them to a God who knows what to do with our troubled emotions. Now, justice is two-sided. It's a two-sided coin. On the one side, wickedness is confronted. On the other side, the oppressed are vindicated. On the other side, the weak, the hurting are delivered. Through meditation and prayer, David remembers not only that God is just, he remembers that God delivers. That's the other side of the coin. God delivers. He says in verses 6 and 7, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. God's heard me. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. We don't know whether deliverance came in the midst of David writing this song. Or whether David is here anticipating the deliverance that he believes will come, we don't know. But it's a dramatic shift. It's a dramatic transition from what he just asked for. Now he's declaring, blessed be the Lord. I give thanks to him with joy because he's heard my cry for mercy. David's transition here from agitated indignation to thankful praise teaches, some, teaches us something really important. God wants you in your weakness to bring your troubling thoughts to him. When, when you're scared and frightened about the things that are running through your mind, did I really think that? Did I really say that to myself? Do I really believe that? When that happens, God wants you to bring that to him. He wants you to bring your troubling thoughts to him. And in response, he will provide to you a needed perspective that you won't have otherwise. I think of it this way. Think about a child. Think about being a kid in the middle of the night in a dark bedroom, right? You're in a dark bedroom and, and you hear all these noises, ticking and gurgling and creaking and all these noises, mysterious noises that you can't interpret, you can't understand. You don't know where these noises come from. You're alone in the dark and things are creaking and just making you feel really scared and unsettled, yeah? And all you know as a child in that moment, all you know is the darkness around you. All you know are sounds, noises that you cannot interpret and explain away. But if, if the child runs to her parents, assuming that the, the parent or the care provider is patient and loving, if she runs to her parent, to an adult in the middle of the night, something good will happen. They will discover that the darkness still remains. Darkness doesn't go away. And the noise doesn't go away, but the child receives from the parent perspective. Even though the darkness stays, even though the noises remain, the parent says, hey, I'm in the house. I'm here. I'm in the next room. I'm not going anywhere. And the noises that you're hearing that's the hot water making the pipes expand. You can go back to bed. And here's the best part. Daylight is coming. If you wait, the sun's going to rise. 
There was an orphan who said something about the sun coming out the next day. I don't know. This dynamic happens when we come to our Heavenly Father in our weakness. He wants us to come to Him in our weakness and get this perspective that we need to get through the darkness and the noises from our lives that we cannot yet interpret. And so the believer, like David, the believer in meditation and prayer puts her hope in God's strength. The believer, like David, remembers, as David says in verse 8, the Lord is the strength of his people. The Lord is my strength. So whatever is troubling you right now, whatever it is, whatever and whoever you're afraid of or troubled by, whatever's going on in your own mind and your own thoughts uh, that is deeply troubling to you and you don't know what to do with it, okay, fine, whatever it is, lean on God. Lean on God to be strong for you instead of you trying to be strong for yourself. As Isaiah said, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. The Apostle Paul's way of saying just that in 2 Corinthians 12 was, when I am weak, then I am strong. You will not see the power of God. You will not see God's strength if you are the one who's trying to be strong. God, in his infinite wisdom, hides himself in his power, in his glory, when you refuse to humble yourself and admit that you are actually weak. You may actually win an argument. You may be really good at defending yourself. You may be a good manipulator. You may be a good debater. And you may just get through something by winning the argument. Or you may just dominate a situation because you're talented because you're clever and smart, because you've got some kind of a natural or systemic or legal advantage, okay? You may blow off your steam by posting a scathing monologue on Facebook. But I'm telling you, in your own strength and by your own wisdom, you won't have peace. You'll do all of that. You'll win an argument. You'll dominate a situation. You'll just post and post and post about everything that you hate in an unguarded way, and you won't, you won't, exp- you'll still have rage, you'll still complain, you'll still be afraid. Look, you may be hurting, you probably are hurting very deeply, and probably for very good reasons. But when you deny God's right, when you deny God's pleasure and joy, to receive you in your weakness, when you deny him to be the strength of your life, that's hurting you more. If you take this stuff, you take your troubling thoughts to God, he can process them for you. He can process them and interpret them and and redeem what's actually troubling you. So that after prayer and meditation... You go back out into the world. You go back into that situation. You approach that person again. And like David, you are ready to respond because your hatred and your hurt and your grief and your pain, the Lord has processed it all for you. 
but you're taking, you know, but by trying to be strong for yourself, trying to be strong for the people that you're trying to protect when you're the one trying to be strong, when you're the one who's trying to be smart and wise and clever, you're taking all of your suppressed and disorganized and unchecked hatred and hurt and grief and anger, and, and you're just vomiting it all out onto everybody else. It's just a big mess because you just want to be strong. There's this old song, this old hymn I remember singing as a kid in, in church. And the refrain was always the same. Some of you know, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what you're not doing when you're trying to be strong. You may pray. You may pray a lot and ask God for stuff. You may go as far as David and say, God, give them what they deserve. God, give me what I want. But something's got to happen. You have to, you have to let down your guard. You have to decide, I'm going to be weak. I'm going to let God be strong and actually listen to what he has to say. Not what I'm thinking, but what he has to say to me. And you come out like David with processed hatred, processed anger, processed grief. And now you're ready to respond. Now you can forgive people who are hurting you. Now you can respond wisely without retaliating in a way that is redemptive, that actually helps you, that actually helps the people around you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. But in that prayer, meditate on his justice, meditate on his deliverance, and finally, meditate on God's strength. You won't see the power and strength of God if you are the one trying to be strong. It works just the opposite way. God's strength, ironically, is revealed by our weakness. That's how the universe is ordered. God has decided that his power is made relevant, is made noticeable to you when you're willing to finally admit that you are weak. David's closing prayer, verse 9, Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. It's an unapologetic confession of weakness. He, he is saying without apology, I am, we are weak. We need guidance. We need wisdom. We need protection. We need help. We need to be carried. To say to God, be my shepherd, it's, it's a confession that you need to be led. That you can't do it on your own. You'll wander. You'll forget. And so the Lord Jesus, as we read earlier today, said to the Apostle Paul, who was being plagued by something, Paul asked again and again, Jesus, take this away from me. Lord, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And Paul tells us, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Jesus' response to Paul was, no, 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 three times, no, 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 I'm not going to take this away from you. And here's why. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, not your strength, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And only distress and only suffering and only injustice will help you to see that the power of God is seen most clearly in human weakness. And here comes Jesus. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they respond to it. 
My sheep know me because I know them. And I speak and my, sh- my sheep hear my voice and they respond. Just as David listens to the voice of God to interpret all the terrible emotions he's wrestling with. Jesus says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I speak and they listen to me, John chapter 10. And he goes further, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Hmm. You see, all the things that trouble and hurt and grieve and anger God, all the things about you, and your own private injustices that you think about and commit, all the things about you, that anger and incense and disappoint and grieve your creator, all of it was judged on the cross when Jesus, in human weakness, died for his sheep. The troubling hatred that you see in David's prayer here, it was actually perfected in holiness with Jesus. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the pastor and writer, once wrote that Jesus was a good cusser, probably the best. Think about it. I mean, Jesus cursed the Pharisees. Jesus cursed all the unbelieving towns and villages that rejected him and said, forget it. We don't believe anything you say. I don't, we don't care that you've raised the dead and healed people. Get out of our town. We want nothing to do with you. He cursed all of them. Read the first book of Revelation. He curses churches that are unfaithful. Read Revelation. Jesus was a good cusser. Jesus took David's hate and ramped it up even more. But as a holy person, as a perfect person, Jesus, Jesus, his pure and holy hatred of sin. Jesus hated sin. Jesus hated wickedness. Jesus hated death. He cried in frustration at the tomb of his dead friend Lazarus. In indignation, Jesus hated death. Jesus hated everything that separates you from his heavenly father. He hated it so much that he went to a cross and died for all of it. Yeah, it's true that love brought Jesus to the cross. It's just as true that hatred brought Jesus to the cross. He hated it all so much that he said, no more. It's not going to separate us anymore. I hate this so much that I'm willing to die so that we won't be separated anymore. True hatred, godly hatred, is pure and holy. And until the Lord Jesus, we had seen nothing like it. Has God's justice offended you? Does the justice of God offend you, friend? Please understand, it's, it's the justice of God that's delivered you. If Jesus didn't care, if he didn't hate sin, if he didn't hate death, he'd have never died for you. You'd remain in your sins. You see, without a God who hates sin and injustice and death, you don't have a God that goes to a cross to eradicate it all. So stop trying to be strong for yourself. Let a God who is just and merciful, a God who will make wickedness and the wicked pay, a God who will redeem and restore and vindicate the hurting, the weak, 
those who come to him and say, I need you. I can't do it on my own. You let him be strong for you. Our strength, our strength for adversity comes from the Lord. No one else. Our strength comes from him. So in your transition and in your weakness and with your troubling thoughts that you're afraid to even admit to yourself, give them to God. He's not going to be surprised. Don't suppress them. Don't ignore them. I promise you they will bleed and vomit out in very unhelpful ways at some point. Take it all to him. Give it to him and let him interpret it. Let him sort through it and organize it and give you peace as you stare at his justice and as you stare at his promise to deliver you. Let Jesus be strong for you. All right? Happy New Year. Let's pray. Our Father, in faith, in faith, We confess to you that we are not willing to admit that we are weak. We know we are weak. Uh, We'd rather be strong so that we can't be pushed around or insulted or intimidated. Uh, The reality is, Father, we confess our weakness. And we confess our unwillingness to admit it. But we do ask in this moment, in this awkwardness, in this sadness and anger and frustration, even in our simmering hate, that you would receive us as broken, weak people. And you would show us your justice and you would show us your mercy and your love and you would show us your deliverance. Even as David learned about your deliverance in his prayer and meditation, may we look at the cross and may we look at the empty tomb Jesus came out of as Lord and Savior, the defeater of death, the defeater of our sins. May we look in hope at our coming deliverance. Lord Jesus, thank you that you you robed yourself in our weakness, that we finally saw the power of God as you were judged on the cross for our sins, as he brought you up out of the grave. Lord Jesus, be strong for us at work. Be strong for us in our conflicts. Be strong for us as we wrestle with the troubling thoughts of what's happened to us in the past. Be strong for us, Lord Jesus, as we learn how to forgive others for the wrongs that they have done. Help us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to hate what you hate, but to always forgive And be patient and wait for you to act. Amen.